Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Hey, it's the day after Mother's Day, and if you forgot, you are in big trouble, dude. <laughs> what do you say? Hello, everybody. Great to see you today on a Monday, Monday, May 14. Uh, how about it? It is the Bill Press Show, and here we go. Off for the next two hours with all the news of the day this Monday. It's a big Monday, a uh, big celebration in Jerusalem, which should never happen. Uh, but uh, celebrating the move, uh, thanks to Donald Trump of the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, uh, upsetting the apple cart of any possibility of peace negotiations between the Palestinians and the Israelis. Uh, but uh, Donald Trump doesn't care. Whatever BB wants, BB gets. Yes, indeed. Uh, in the meantime, uh, still controversy swirling over uh, that slur made against John McCain by um, a White House aide, Kelly Sadler. She still has a job, yes, and indeed the White House has not. She has not apologized, nor has the White House apologized for that. Lots and lots to talk about, lots that you are going to want to comment on. So send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show, uh, and let us know what you think about the news of the day. Uh, we'll also tell you about uh, Donald Trump. He promised to save jobs, and he is doing so. Yeah, the problem is they turn out to be Chinese jobs, not American jobs. So much to talk about again. Your comments welcome on Twitter. We'll jump right into it with both feet, but first... This is the Full Court Press. All righty. Just a couple of other stories making news. You know, one of the things that the FCC has been doing recently is they are cracking down on robocalls, robocalls. And last week, the FCC issued its largest robocalling fine in history. It's against one man, one man. His name is Adrian Abramovich. He's a Florida man who was charged with making 
this, get this, a hundred million robocalls in three months. How could he? Well, machinery, right? Like yeah. he's got machines that make the calls for him. And what he's Whoa. doing is he was selling travel deals to people which didn't actually exist. So the FCC took note and they fined him $120 million. Whoa. A dollar for every call. Yeah, for, for, for pretty much. They're, they're saying, like, this is a real problem. We've had to crack down on robocalls. And this is one guy. This is yeah. one guy who was trying to run this scheme where he was duping, especially elderly people, out of their money. And so they were saying, no, you cannot, absolutely cannot do this. And so a $120 million fine is what he now faces. He, of course, can appeal this. Uh, yeah. But, you so know, we'll for see. the most part, I was talking about this with some friends. With but for the most part, cell phones are still exempt. I mean, yeah. they haven't gotten. But yep. but every once in a while you get one. I get one on my cell phone every once in a sure, while. Sure. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Same. All right, so actor Benedict Cumberbatch, who is in the Avengers Infinity War, but he was in Sherlock Holmes, he was in The Imitation Game, he's a pretty famous actor. He gave an interview with Radio Times, and he said that he is going to boycott any projects that do not pay female stars the same that he gets paid, which is a big problem in Hollywood, as oh, we've yeah. talked before. Yeah. There are him. women who are getting paid significantly less than their male counterparts. He said, quote, equal pay and a place at the table are the central tenets of feminism. Look at your quotas. Ask what women are being paid. And if she's not being paid the same as men, I'm not going to do it. So he's putting his money where his mouth is. Good for him. And uh, the National Weather Service says that there is a tropical storm developing in the eastern uh, Gulf of Mexico oh, in the gosh, next couple already? of days already. Yeah, forecasters in New Orleans and Baton Rouge said that there is a quote medium chance that the area could be impacted. But it's weird that this is forming, where it's forming, and how it's forming. So if you're in that area, just keep an eye out. We'll keep you posted if it does develop into anything bigger. What that's supposed to be in the fall that we worry about. This. I know, I know, and here we are. Yeah, don't like it. This is the Bill Press Show. Donald Trump fulfilling a campaign promise to save jobs. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't promise that the jobs he saved would be in China. Yeah, he's saving 75,000 Chinese jobs. What do you say, everybody? Happy Monday. It is Monday, May 14. I hope you celebrated Mother's Day in style, and congratulations to all you mothers and grandmothers uh, and um, mothers soon-to-be out there. Hope you had a great day. Hope you all had a great weekend and had a chance to relax with family and friends and make the most of it. And ready to jump into another busy news week. Uh, yes, starting off with this big celebration uh, in uh, Israel. Uh, still quite controversial uh, upsetting decades of American foreign policy by Donald Trump moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Yes, we will get into that and all the other news of the day as we join you coast to coast from our studio here on Capitol Hill, reaching out to you uh, worldwide, actually, as well as nationwide with all the news of the day. As we join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, we tell you again. Podcast, podcast, podcast. It is growing rapidly in numbers. 
Very, very excited about that. Thank you uh, for making it such a huge success. And if you haven't already done so, get check out our podcast at uh, any time during the day at uh, BillPressShow.com or wherever you uh, join your podcast. Uh, look us up and sign up for the Bill Press Show, and then you will hear from us several times during the day and even over the weekends with special stuff that um, we don't have time for during our two hours uh, every day. Uh, well worth checking out uh, the Bill Press Show podcast. We're also joining you on Free Speech TV and proud to be there uh, and joining you on the radio statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks and uh, in the greater Chicago area, all over Chicago and the suburbs and up into Indiana and Illinois, all over the place uh, on WCPT, the great progressive voice of Chicago. Yes, indeed. So much to talk about. Got a great lineup of guests for you, too. But let's start with this whole flap over uh, the White House and this the, the cheap, cheap comment made by White House aide Kelly Sadler last week in a meeting at the White House where, it, you, know, you, know what, you know what I'm talking about, where uh, the opposition, John McCain's expressed opposition to CIA nominee to be the next director of the CIA, President Trump's nominee to be the next director of the CIA, Gina Haspel, opposition uh, to her nomination was expressed by Senator John McCain, of course, who is um, dealing with brain cancer. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say dying of brain cancer uh, out in Arizona. Uh, and John McCain simply said that her refusal to acknowledge that torture is wrong and immoral under any circumstances would dis- should disqualify her in her opi- in his opinion from being the next director of the CIA, because we know that at part of her 33-year career, for about a year and a half or so of her career at the uh, CIA, she was the head of a torture prison uh, in Thailand, enhanced interrogation, waterboarding, and other stuff under the George W. Bush administration. She willingly did so. She gleefully did so. Uh, she defends her work there as being legal, under the rule of law, and she later uh, was a part, part, uh, uh, participated uh, in the destruction. She didn't actually destroy them, but wrote the order that ended up in the destruction of almost 100 videotapes of that enhanced interrogation uh, so that nobody, the evidence, the evidence was, was lost. Anyhow, John McCain saying that record alone should disqualify her. Fine. That's his opinion. Poor guy, he won't get to vote on it anyhow because he's, uh, you know, under such extreme medical, serious medical care in uh, Arizona. But but that's his opinion. At which point, in a White House meeting, uh, five people verified to the Hill. The Hill reported this first. Five five people in that meeting wasn't a great big meeting either. Confirmed that Kelly Sadler. Uh, by the way, she's not some intern. She's a longtime political uh, operative in Washington, D.C., now in the Trump White House. And she said, BFD, basically, it doesn't really matter because he's dying anyway. Yep, that leaked out. It was reported by The Hill, and all hell broke loose. And you would think that she would apologize. No. She called Meghan McCain daughter of, 
and privately apologized. And Megan said the call didn't go well. And she said to her, listen, what you really need to do is issue a public apology. According to Megan McCain, um, Kelly Sadler said she would. Well, here we are mm, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Five days later, no public apology. Then everybody said, well, the White House will issue an apology. Mm, here we are. One, two, three, four, five days later, uh, the White House has not apologized to Senator McCain. And uh, I was on um, CNN Friday talking about this uh, with some of the Republican strategists. And the question was, should she be fired? My answer was, absolutely. She should have been fired the day before when first word, when word first leaked out. She should have been fired on the spot when she said it. Uh, well, here we are. One, two, three, four, five days later, Kelly Sadler is still on the job. Let me tell you, this is totally, totally disgusting. And we've talked a lot about John McCain. And I, I've pointed out to you, back in the days when I was doing Crossfire, this gets personal to me for me because back in the days when I was doing Crossfire, uh, wherever I went in the country giving speeches, people, the question I knew would always come up. People would say in some version or the other, some version of this, yeah, you've been around Washington now for a couple of years. You're on CNN. You do Crossfire. You've met all everybody in Washington, all these politicians. Is there any one of them that you admire or respect? And every time I would answer immediately, without qualification, yes, John McCain. Me, the Democrat on Crossfire, John McCain. Why? It's not because I agreed with him on every issue. It's much too hard, much too of a hard ass on uh, uh, on military stuff for me. Um, and he's, I don't agree with him everything he does today. You know, uh, but I think people also don't remember and don't realize where the whole Maverick label was born from with John McCain, right? Like, he, yeah. he really did buck his party he often but, in the yeah. older days. He's changed a lot and become yeah. a lot more reliably but conservative. He but. still does on occasion, like famously for the repeal of Obamacare, yeah. right? Uh, and on this one, on Gina Haspel. But so it wasn't that I, 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 I said I admired him so much because I agreed with him. It's just that I did respect, as Peter pointed out, that he was such a maverick. He was willing to break with the leaders of his party when he thought they were wrong. For example, I remember first one of the first occasions, uh, George W. Bush and his big tax cuts. John McCain said it was just welfare for the rich. The rich didn't need another big tax cut, uh, and uh, he wasn't going to support it. I like that in any politician, Democrat or Republican. I also like the fact that John McCain didn't take himself or politics too seriously. Um, I loved, I've heard him tell the story several times, but, you know, he always said that as coming from Arizona, uh, he learned one big lesson very quickly in Washington, um, the difference between a cactus and a caucus, right? You know, the difference, right, with a cactus, the pricks are on the outside. <laughs> John McCain loved telling that story, just poking fun at his fellow senators. The other thing is, I have to tell you, he had a great relationship with the media. So when he ran in 2000 for president, first time, I went to New Hampshire, like a lot of the reporters, I rode on the Straight Talk Express. It, it, nobody else has done, you, could, you got on that bus, John McCain sat down with the reporters, and as you were rolling to the next event, 
John McCain, you could ask him any question you wanted. It was a freewheeling, rolling news conference. No other politician, nobody at that time, not John Kerry, not, not George Bush, nobody else. And nobody else then or since has allowed that kind of totally unfettered access. And he gained a lot of respect for the media uh, because of that. So to hear this, and then do we have to mention he's dying of brain cancer? I mean, even if he were not John McCain, it's, you know, you don't make fun. You don't insult people who are dying of brain cancer. It's just common decency of which there is none in the Trump White House. So here it goes. And then it comes up at the briefing last week. And do you think Sarah Huckabee Sanders would say anything to condemn this White House aide? No. First of all, she just refuses to acknowledge the leak because of the leak, refuses to acknowledge it even happened. I'm not going to validate uh, a leak out of an internal staff meeting one way or the other. Oh, oh, no, no, no. And as far as we're concerned, we at the White House, we love everybody and we treat everybody with respect. All Americans we treat with respect. We have a uh, respect for all Americans, and that is what we try to put forward in everything we do, both in word and in action. Yeah, Bill, isn't that obvious? That is stunning <laughs> that she would say that with a straight face. By the way, that's why she's so good, because she lies, 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 and it doesn't matter at all, right? I mean, <laughs> working for the guy who has insulted more people than I think anybody else on the planet, let alone being the president of the United States, I mean, just nasty, nasty stuff that he said about so many people. Americans and leaders around the world um, and putting people down, even putting his own staff down. We heard about Donald Trump embarrassing his HHS secretary in front of his cabinet last week. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders has the nerve to say, we treat everybody with respect. That's who we are. We treat everybody with respect. Yeah, right. Even a man dying of brain cancer. Uh, Megan, I just find that clip to be so it's amazing. So, it is. Just, it's just absolutely amazing. Because right. Like, just look at what, I mean, he mocked a journalist for being disabled. He's yeah. been caught on tape talking about sexually assaulting women. We don't have to talk about all the things. No, we, we know we who he is. Yeah, right, right. But treat all Americans and, with respect, really? Uh, and one of the points that I made uh, the other day, I make again, is that we should also not be surprised that a statement like this would come out of the Trump White House, right? Because it starts at the top in the Trump White House. Who was the first person to mock John McCain in this last political round? It was Donald Trump as a candidate who said, even though he served five and a half years in prison in Vietnam, and Donald Trump took advantage of three deferments not to go to Vietnam, he said John, Don, John McCain, he, Donald Trump, says John McCain was no war hero because he'd been taken prisoner he didn't like prisoners, Donald Trump said. He just liked people who fought on the front lines. He didn't like prisoners. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. Who is he to talk? So th this all comes. This all comes from Donald Trump. It is a White House where personal insults are accepted, are encouraged, are tolerated, and are certainly practiced. Oh, we, uh, but we have respect for all people. But we have respect <laughs> for all people. Yeah. Um, I thought Megan McCain, uh, Megan McCain, daughter of, of course, who's a member of The View, um, after that conversation, 
with uh, Kelly Sadler, where, again, she encouraged Kelly Sadler to uh, make a public apology, which she has not done. Meghan McCain said, you know what? Let them let them criticize my father. Um, everybody knows who he is and will always know who he is. My father's legacy is going to be talked about for hundreds and hundreds of years. These people, nothing burgers. Yeah, boy, that's right. We'll remember John McCain. Who's going to remember Kelly Sadler? But we do remember, and it is just disgusting, that, yes, she's still, as Meghan McCain points out, she's still got a job in the White House. I don't understand what kind of environment you're working in when that would be acceptable, and then you can yes. come to work the next day and still have a job. How could she still have a job? How could they do that? I mean, there are people, <laughs> there are people who have been fired from CNN or MSNBC or talk radio for a lot less, you know? I mean, words count. And there she is with this and bringing all this controversy down on the White House. And she's still there. She's still got a job. And has Donald Trump said anything about it at all? Hell no. Pretty disgusting. Uh, meanwhile, Donald Trump, uh, he, oh boy, aren't you happy about this? Yeah, remember, promises, promises, camp, pulling out his campaign, uh, fulfilling his campaign promises. He said that he was going to do something about the high price of prescription drugs. He was right about one thing, that Obamacare didn't do anything about prescription drugs. Donald uh, Barack Obama, you've heard me say this, caved into the drug companies. There should have been the ability for Medicare to negotiate with the drug companies for lower prescription drug prices for everybody on Medicare and Medicaid. Um, you can do it on Medicaid, not on Medicare. Uh, Barack Obama didn't go there. Donald Trump promised he was going to change that. He was going to lower the price of prescription drugs. So it's this big ceremony in the Rose Garden on Friday. And what did it amount to? A lot of good talk. He knows how to talk the talk. He doesn't know how to walk the walk. Absolutely nothing. Now, so here's Donald Trump starting off. Yeah, we're going to fix this problem, putting patients first. Under this administration, we are putting American patients first. And we're going to, isn't that terrible about people can buy these drugs, the same drugs overseas for half the price or less. You can look at some of the countries. Their medicine is a tiny fraction what the medicine costs in the USA. It's unfair, and it's ridiculous, and it's not going to happen any longer. And what does Donald Trump do about it with his little plan that he announced? Absolutely, again, absolutely nothing. There is no opportunity for Medicare to negotiate for lower drug prices. None, none, none. Uh, Americans are still, under his plan, not permitted to buy drugs from overseas, Canada or wherever, and take advantage of those lower prices. Still not allowed to do it. All it does is says, and who knows what this means, it gives some private organizations more tools to talk to drug companies about somehow lowering drug prices. Hello? Sounds revolutionary. Yeah, sounds revolutionary. But the, the two big things that they could have done, they do not do. Oh, and then it also says that it may, it may require, doesn't yet, may require 
drug companies to talk to list the price of the drug in their TV ads. As if, again, that's revolutionary, right? That's a whole separate issue. You that's know? a totally separate issue. The real issue is, should they be advertising those drugs anyhow on television, right? Which is all meant to get people to go to their doctors and say, I think I saw this on TV. I think I got this problem. I think you have to give me that drug. Even in the pharmaceutical industry, I can tell you because I've been to some of their meetings where they discuss, there's a big debate among people in the pharmaceutical industry about whether that is ethical or not. I don't think it is, but that's all you see on the evening news, of course. Uh, but at any rate, they don't, even, they don't even do that. They just say they may, they may get there uh, someday. Uh, and uh, with the president was his new secretary of HHS, Alex Azar, who says, again, what a great plan this is. We're not going to propose cheap political gimmicks. Mm -hmm. The president's blueprint is a sophisticated approach to reforming and improving this unbelievably complex system. Yes, when I think sophisticated approach, I think right. Donald Trump. Uh, well, I think when I when I think of drug companies killing anything that's going to hurt the drug companies, I think of a guy like Alex Azar, who was the president of Eli Lilly and is now the president's drug czar. So there you go. Right. Yeah, of course. Of course, if there were anything that the pharmaceutical companies were not going to like, Alex Azar was going to make sure it was not in the president's plan Duh. and did. So it doesn't do. You hear about the drug thing. It doesn't do a damn thing. So that promise was not fulfilled. But sadly, another promise was their meeting in Jerusalem. I think it's the ceremony's already over now. In Jerusalem today, yes, indeed, um, upsetting decades of American foreign policy tradition. Bill Clinton didn't do it. George H.W. Bush didn't do it. George W. Bush didn't do it. Barack Obama didn't do it. But or they all talked about it. But they didn't do it because they they decided that the future of Jerusalem and the question of whether or not where the capital of Jerusalem of Israel should be and whether Jerusalem should be an international city or a capital of both the Palestinian territory and Jerusalem, a shared capital or what, should be part of the negotiations. And the people there should decide this issue. Nope, Donald Trump says, nope, America first. I'm going to go alone. If BB wants me to move it, I'll move it. And that's what's happening today. BB himself saying, oh, I got my way. This is good for Israel. This is good for the region. It's good for the world. No, it's not good for the world. Any chance, any chance of resolving and by the way, if you look at just the news every day, uh, the the hostility and the issues uh, between the Palestinians and the Israelis are as bad today as they as they've ever been. There's almost open warfare uh, on the border with 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 Gaza uh, every day, and Israeli troops firing uh, in, into the crowds there who are trying to break down the wall and come through the wall. Um, but John Bolton says, "Oh no, putting this capital there, right." This is going. This this means we're going to have. A, this is John Bolton, his new national security advisor. This is going to make it better chance of bringing peace to the Middle East. If you're not prepared to recognize that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel and that's where the American embassy uh, should be, then you're operating on a on a completely different uh, wavelength. I, I think recognizing reality always enhances the chances for peace. 
Uh, so many people have pointed out uh, what this does is it, it makes it more, more difficult, makes it more volatile in the Middle East. So here we have a war in Iraq was still going on. The war in Syria is still going on. The war in Yemen is still going on. And now we have increased tension, increased hostility, uh, increased violence uh, in Israel over this decision by Donald Trump. Uh, but at least we can be grateful that uh, Donald Trump's key players are there. Steve Mnuchin, what is he? Why is he there at all? Secretary of the Treasury. Uh, and Javanka are there. Yes. Jared and Ivanka are there. So all's well with the world. But of course, Jared is the one who has the responsibility for bringing peace to the Middle East. The skilled, experienced negotiator, Jared Kushner. Yeah. By the way, I read, I read over the weekend, I didn't know this, that just to show you how naive these two are, okay, and how clueless. So during the transition, they reached out to Cecile Richards, head of, head of Planned Parenthood, and invited her to Trump Tower for a meeting. So she, come, she comes in, and they said, we got this great plan. We got this great deal. We know you didn't support our father, but we want to we wanna, we wanna patch things up. So here's our proposal. Planned Parenthood and all their clinics, they drop any talk about or anything to do with abortion. And my father will drop his opposition to funding Planned Parenthood. Richard said, I mean, said she just looked at them and said, you're out of your freaking mind, right? I mean, it's sort of like going to Al Sharpton and saying, you stop talking about racial justice, equality of the races, you know, and maybe we can uh, support your uh, action network, right? It's, it's insane. But that's that's who these people that's are. That's how they think. Yeah. By the way, I just want to update on the, the embassy situation. Washington Post is reporting this morning, Israeli soldiers have killed at least 18 Palestinians this morning along the border fence because the Palestinians are protesting, the embassy being moved. Uh, demonstrations are planned across Palestinian territories all throughout the week. So this is probably not going to be the last time that we see any kind of violence, but this is the bloodiest day of demonstrations in the past six weeks of protest. 918 people have been injured in these protests, 18 this morning being killed. Uh, I'd have to say if there are any other country on the planet that were firing live bullets into protesters, yeah, um, we would be condemning it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one other point on the opening of the embassy, uh, Donald Trump has sent, in addition to uh, his daughter and his son-in-law and uh, his sidekick, the Secretary of the Treasury, um, his favorite pastor uh, from Dallas, Pastor Robert Jeffries. I think. Yeah, yes. Robert Jeffress. Robert yeah, Jeffress, guy, right? Yeah. Uh, who, among other things, has said that Jews cannot be saved and will not be saved because they do not believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ. Yes, Robert Jeffress is speaking, offering the opening prayer, or did offer the opening prayer, at the opening of the American Embassy in Jerusalem. That's great. That's just wonderful. Right. That's wonderful. There you go. Uh, quick little note before we take our break. Uh, I just want you all, all to uh, feel sorry for um, the Republican National Committee. Um, the RNC, um, they're trying to find... They're trying to decide where they're going to hold their convention in 2020, their next national convention. And they got a problem. Nobody wants them. <laughs> <laughs> they have been turned down by San Antonio, 
They've been turned down by Nashville. Philadelphia said no, and Las Vegas said no. Uh, so far, the only city that, that has said we'll consider it is Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, by the way, Peter, you and I were there. We did go to Charlotte. For the Democratic convention in Charlotte, and that was a great, great sure, convention. Yeah, we had a good totally. time. Ate totally. some good food. Totally. Uh, so con- Charlotte could handle it, but it is kind of embarrassing. Yeah, that, it's totally embarrassing. That all their first picks have said no. And by the way, <laughs> all those four cities that you just mentioned, those They're, are convention towns. I mean, they, they could are do convention this. Cities. It's like a turnkey operation for them. That's right. not a. It's not a problem. No, because you go to some places like we went to St. Paul. Yeah, they don't have enough hotel space. Nowhere near exactly. enough hotel space. Right? Vegas, Vegas could swallow this convention, oh my and God. people wouldn't even know they were there. In a you heartbeat. Know yeah, yeah. In a heartbeat. And we saw Philadelphia. Great job. Yeah, last time they around. nailed it. Yeah. Same with San Antonio. I've been there for some conventions. Oh, yeah. It's great. Right. Nashville has got a mm-hmm. whole thing there. Right. <laughs> Now they'll None find of them want they'll find a place somewhere. But sure. I do think it's funny that uh, so uh, in, in one week we saw Barbara Bush and John McCain both say we don't want Donald Trump at our funeral, and now all these cities are saying <laughs> we don't want Donald Trump or the Republicans no, in our town uh, in in 2020. So um, anybody out there? I don't know Delaware City where I grew up. <laughs> I put Delaware City on the map. Yeah, there's not one hotel in Delaware City. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, take a quick break. And when we come back, Nahal Tuzi joins us uh, on more of these foreign policy crises that Donald Trump is stirring up, uh, including the latest on uh, North Korea and on the Iran nuclear deal. Quick break. We'll be right back Monday, May 14, the Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, and here we are already uh, halfway through the month of May, May 14. How about it, everybody? Great to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us as we start out here in Washington, D.C. with uh, the Bill Press Show, this Monday edition, end up right alongside of you wherever you are in this great land of ours, online, on the radio, and on television. From our studio on Capitol Hill, and we're brought to you today by the Sheet Metal Air Rail and Transportation Workers Union. Put those all together, they call it the Smart Union, the good men and women of the Smart Union under President Joseph Sellers, giving a fair day's work for a fair day's pay, you bet. Check out their website at smart-union.org. A lot of uh, foreign policy news suddenly dominating the news, I should say, uh, these days, um, including the opening and uh, dedication of the new U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem today, moving from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Nahal Tuzi covers foreign affairs for Politico, um, one of our favorite guests on the show, and she is back today. Hello, Nahal. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. I love being here. Thank you. Lots to cover. Uh, and uh, we've been uh, at it for a little bit since you got here, stirring up some comments. Peter? Yes, indeed. A couple of comments from Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about Gina Haspel later on in the program, but MMXX on Twitter says, they jailed and gave death sentences to other people around the world who did what she did. Just something to think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the comments uh, from the Trump administration about John McCain. Uh, KG reminds us that the fish rots from the head. Uh, yeah. Of course. Right. Also, Bill, you definitely have your fans out there. Dick Anthony just, just simply saying, Bill Press, you're an a-hole. I can't read the word, but <laughs> you're an a-hole. 
Just no, no. Just just putting that comment out there mm-hmm. on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show. If you have any comment on anything that we're talking about, or if you just want to call Bill a name, uh, find us on Twitter at BP Show. It's sort of a waste to use a tweet for that. What do you think? I mean, I mean, yeah, but you know, we love to hear from our fans. <laughs> Twitter would be really interesting if it was to ration out tweets. Like if you I was were only given like three tweets a week, a finite number of tweets. <laughs> yeah, right. Every one of them would count. You'd have to make your tweets count. That would be interesting. Yeah. Twitter. Yeah, all three of them would just be someone telling Bill he's an animal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you all for your comments, and don't forget, <laughs> your comments are always welcome on Twitter, uh, at the BP Show. All right, so let's start uh, in Jerusalem. It was uh, um, Steve Mnuchin, uh, no, uh, I'm sorry, Bibi today, who uh, announced uh, how important this is for everybody on the planet. This is good for Israel. This is good for the region. It's good for the world. Is it? Uh, I guess it depends on your perspective. If you talk to Palestinian leaders right now, um, they are saying that this is just a move to an apartheid situation. Uh, But if you talk to supporters of Israel, they say, look, you know, like, it's time we take this uh, issue off the table. Jerusalem is... You know, in reality and in every way really imaginable, the capital of Israel. And it's time that the Palestinians and the Arab countries recognize that. That's, and if you talk to Arab leaders elsewhere, quietly and privately, uh, they want to talk about Iran. So mm-hmm. that tells you where their priorities are. Um, yeah. And John Bolton made the point uh, that you made over the weekend that accept reality. This is a reality. At the same time, I mean, this this problem of and, and today, by the way, it's worth noting, is 70 years after, is to the day after when Israel declared its independence. Correct. 1948, May 14. It took Harry Truman 11 minutes before he recognized Israel. Automatic, mm-hmm. which was the right thing to do, great thing to do. Um, but this issue of what happens and how and reconciliation between the Palestinian people and the Israeli people, particularly over territory seas in 1967, has been going on for a long time. And our the position, at least the way I've seen it, from the everybody has, I thought, agreed that, that our role, the role of the United States in that question should be the role of an honest broker, right? So we were the one that brought both sides to the table then, and you guys decide how you're going to resolve this, including the question of what happens to Jerusalem, which both consider, and Christians also consider, issue. right, a special, very special place. We can't be an honest broker anymore. We're not an honest broker anymore, are we? Look, there are plenty of people who will tell you it's been a long time since the U.S. has been an honest broker. I mean, I don't, you mean I don't we think, haven't been for a long time? I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, a lot of Palestinians— yeah, we'll say, yeah. like, look, we never thought of the U.S. as an honest broker. The difference right. is that the U.S. still has so much influence and power that, you know, it's really the only broker that could make things happen. Um, others will say, supporters of this move will say, look, we are being honest. Like, and Jerusalem is something that we just need to take off the table and um, essentially give it to Israel. And But then there's another part of this, which is... The U.S. has not officially taken sides on the uh, borders uh, issue when it comes to Jerusalem. So they have still left open the possibility that the Palestinians can lay claim to East Jerusalem as part of final status talks. What the U.S. is simply saying is we're moving 
our embassy to this city and we are going to recognize that it is real capital. But in the future, you know, we're going to we're open to the idea of uh, shifting the lines or whatever. Um, and the U.S. is still uh, the there's a handful of people in the White House who are still working on a peace plan. Um, my you mean under the leadership of uh, Jared Ambassador Kushner. <laughs> Jared Kushner, <laughs> uh, who has very, you know, like deep, heartfelt ties to the region. Um, and but, so <laughs> but knows nothing, I would argue. I well, mean, but there are others, seriously, there are others in the mix. I, mean, I saw George Mitchell on CNN this morning, for example. You know, he couldn't cut it, though, right? I know. But, he I mean, you put up a, a George Mitchell versus a Jared Kushner. Look, the experts haven't been able to solve this in 70 years. So maybe an amateur can. I, I'm i just saying, you know, yeah. thinking outside the box is not necessarily an, a bad argument. And and Kushner has people who do know the region, um, not that many, but a handful, who are putting together what I am told is the final touches on this. I don't think we're going to hear what it is until after Ramadan and after the North Korea summit. So my guess is probably late ju- late June uh, or July, the there earliest. Will, there will be a peace plan. Oh, I absolutely think they will unveil a peace plan. And, you know, one possible way of looking at this is that maybe what they've done is given Israel Jerusalem, you know, but they will expect Israel to give up something significant over time. Okay. Well, boy, that is that but, that is an optimist yeah, Pardon view. me for being pardon me for being a cynic and a skeptic on that, but <laughs> uh I see it uh, a little differently. I mean, when I see this moving this capital to, to Jerusalem, which is something that Netanyahu has always wanted, pressured Obama, pressured George W. Bush, didn't get it. And when I see the Iran nuclear out getting out of the Iran nuclear deal, which is something BB wanted, didn't want the deal in the first place. It looks to me like whatever BB wants from Donald Trump, BB gets. Uh, so the idea that Donald Trump is going to demand something out of BB and get something out of BB in return for you know negotiating on a peace deal, I just don't buy it. Well, there's another way of looking at it, which is that it's not necessarily BB, but perhaps Sheldon Adelson, who is giving a lot of money to the Republican <laughs> Party. That doesn't make it any better, but um, you're right. You're I, right. I mean, for yeah. Trump, you have to remember a lot of this is about keeping promises to his base and his supporters. And one way of predicting what Trump is going to do is to see what he promised on the campaign. And he promised to make these moves. And and therefore, he is doing it. And perhaps he is influenced by Adelson's money or whatever. But it's also just the fact that he knows he made this promise to the people who back him and who still continue to back him. And if he feels like if he doesn't deliver on that, then, you know, what is he? I mean, you can't. You can't. I know. I know. I know. But that's another whole. That's another whole. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. When your promises are bad, when your promises are wrong, when your promises don't. When your promises. And he didn't do it. That's the point. But that that means he couldn't keep a promise. No, no, it doesn't. It means that he realized. Realized once he was in office and talked to some very wise people that that was that's the same the same thing that George W. Bush did. Talked to some very wise people and said, no, Mr. President, this was a bad thing to say. You should never promise this in the first place. You should certainly not do it. And neither same of them brought the, peace to the Middle East. Same thing with the, um, with, the, um, uh, with the Iran nuclear deal. I mean, let's talk about that. I mean, you've got uh, – okay, here we are. Germany – I don't have to tell you, right? But just Germany, France, the U.K., China, Russia, and the E.U. And, and most and, of the rest and, of the world. And, and most of the rest of the world. Yeah. All right, Donald Trump promised to break it. Does that mean that was the right thing to do? Hell no. It just means he kept up stupid campaign promise, in my opinion. 
right? And I think in the opinion of most of the world, he's he's based. I mean, America first. That's his foreign policy, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, which means America stands alone. Paris, the entire rest of the world, mm-hmm. is climate change, and we're not. Even Syria and North Korea. And Nicaragua. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, and now the Iran nuclear deal, all of those countries I mentioned, and the United States stands alone kind of against it. I mean, is this a solid foreign policy in this day and age? Well, I think one question is, you know, whatever his campaign promises were, <laughs> does this make sense? But but it's also how do you follow through on the promise, right? So one of the things that's come out this weekend is John Bolton and, and Mike Pompeo, Trump's main advisors on these issues, um, saying that somewhat contradictorily, but a, a little bit hard to follow, but saying essentially that the U.S. Uh, will or may uh, actually enforce sanctions on European com- companies to help you know, prevent them from doing business in Iran. Oh, that's right? going to that, yeah, that that's going to be great. Well, yeah, but that's the whole. I mean, that's what this whole thing was built on. It wasn't about U.S. sanctions on Iran because, like, we're, those yeah. are still there. The the, Ameri- yeah. the Iranians aren't interested in the American market; they're interested in the European market. Right. And so, if yeah. the U.S. goes after European companies, oh yeah, right. Right. But the question is, will they? And and the it, but they Donald were not Trump, entirely committal on this. No, but Donald Trump threatened again. Get back to this when campaign promises are just basically stupid. Donald Trump, in, in the statement saying he was getting out of the Iran deal, he threatened sanctions against our European allies mm-hmm. if they continue to do business with Iran. So imagine, right, the reaction and, and the problems we'd be in if suddenly we're putting sanctions on the UK, we're right. putting sanctions on France and on Germany. Right. It's, it's insane. Insane, but that's what the Iran deal structure was based on. I mean, this is Which like is this again, isn't the first you time the U.S. or any administration has gone after an ally for doing business with an adversary. I mean, look, but you're saying, okay, look, you're saying this is going to hurt our alliances. You know, going forward, they're not going to trust us, et cetera. I, you know what? I got to tell you, if you're a Europe right now, this is a difficult question. First of all, you look completely stupid diplomatically. I mean, like Who? Trump, Europeans do. I mean, Trump what? seems to have outmaneuvered you. He completely, are you, you know, kidding? strung you along. Wait, are you kidding? No, you got I mean, it backwards. No. Trump's the one who looks stupid diplomatically. Oh, no, no. You, the Europeans kept talking to him for months and months and months, thinking that they were actually going to be able to change his mind. They were not. They have egg on their face. The next question, then, is no, do they keep so standing wrong. up? What, are what you do you t- mean, who's got egg on his face? Donald Trump looks like, I mean, again, he's the odd man out in this. And you're saying, but this it's is my like, next you know, point. it's like the guy, the army is marching, but and there's is- one guy that's out of step. And he says, oh, I'm in step. All the rest of these guys are out of step. No, but, but this isn't. This is this is the next point, though. If you're Europe, you know, you got outflanked, and then you think, well, what am I going to do now? And you realize the American market means a heck of a lot more to your companies than the Iranian market does. So, are you actually going to be willing to stand up to Trump on the economic front, on the sanctions front, for the sake of Iran, a country which you agree is acting aggressively and in many ways very badly throughout the Middle East? I mean, this is well, the this is the choice they face, right? And no, do, do you think the, the Europeans the, are going to stand up to the no, to America did, on look, this? I, look, I was there at the White House when Emmanuel Macron was there in the East Room, mm-hmm. and he explained, I thought, very compellingly, very eloquently, very convincingly, that the Iran deal was not a perfect deal. They were in compliance with the nuclear part of it, but there were these other issues, like their support for Hezbollah or whatever. Sure. 
which they all decided at the time were issues, but they wanted to deal with the number one threat, which was nuclear weapons, in that agreement. Mm -hmm. They made that decision Mm -hmm. to focus on that. But then Macron says, so here are these four pillars that we know we have to address, so the right thing to do is to keep this plant and then add to it. I mean, they they offered the absolute perfect, I thought he did, and then Angela Merkel followed up on that, mm-hmm. and then even the foreign secretary of, of the UK followed up on that, saying, here's the way to go, Mr. President. Donald Trump says, no, I know more than all the rest of you. Boom. I'm just pulling out all together and putting the sanctions back exactly. on. Exactly. But he's the thing. He's throwing down the gauntlet, and he's being like, yeah, we're going to do this. Um, what are you going to do about it? And do you honestly think Europe is going to you know, give up the American market for the Iranian one? I don't think Iran's... I think Europe is going to not... Not is going to stay in the deal. Try mm-hmm. to hold the deal together. It's up to Iran. Try to hold the deal together, and uh, to continue Iran's willingness to forego any plans for building a nuclear weapon for at least seven years, maybe ten years, maybe fifteen years, and not let it escape, and not not let them go back into a nuclear weapons program, which they could do. Under Donald Trump's decision. And I think that that's one strategy you're going to see increasing numbers of foreign governments take, which is simply, can we wait out this administration? Can we string them along? Can we drag this out? Can we, you know, take them to the World Trade Organization over some sort of sanctions dispute? You know, have that lingering over time so that finally, if and when Trump is uh, ousted from office, you know, we can deal with an administration on a different basis. I mean, this is going to be... You're going to see stories about this pretty soon, about international, you know, government saying, all right, you know what, we're going to wait this administration out. Yeah, I think the, I think the, and I want to move on some other topic, but I think you're dead wrong on this, if I may. I don't I have think a position. The, I'm arguing other people's position. I, I'm this, just saying, I'm just telling you. Well, like, I have a position. I think this is the most dangerous <laughs> move. Believe. I think this is the most dangerous move of any American president, and it could very well end up with in, in more nuclear weapons and Iran being a nuclear power and maybe even nuclear war in the Middle East. And I think it's done by an ins- a man who is, knows nothing about foreign policy uh, and um, is reckless, you know, and just ignored the advice of anybody think, with any experience in this region. The other argument is you are underestimating the continued influence of American power, with or without Trump at the leadership. The Europeans still need us. They rely on us. Look, the other, the other interesting American aspect power, is what our Russia American and China power are going does to do. not mean standing alone. I mean, that's what Donald Trump feels. We don't need anybody else. We can dump on the UK. We can dump on. But it's not about what Germany. We, need. we can it's dump on about... France. We can dump on China. We can dump on. We can dump on anybody because I'm Donald Trump. He... That is absolutely disastrous. But it's not just about what America needs. It's what about what other countries need. Like it's Trump's argument that the U.S. doesn't need anyone else. He's never really technically made that, but he, he has essentially made that argument. Okay, but that is that is more legit to some extent than the Europeans saying we don't need America. Okay. And again, like I said, the other X factors are China and Russia and what they will do. And well, that's that's I, something I that's hear, not getting enough attention. I don't hear European, Europe saying that we don't need America. I think what they hear, what I hear is we're not going to follow this idiot. We know, you know, we have a, maybe a little more experience in diplomacy than he does. Uh, and um, we know, by the way, you know, John Bolton says, but Peter, we can play the thing he said about verification, about 
you know, that, that we don't know that they're not cheating. Yeah. yeah, here he is over the week. You can't say uh, honestly that Iran didn't violate the deal because we don't have adequate inspections. No, that's just, I can't say the word. That's BS. Look, first of all, George, Mike Pompeo, when he was still CIA director, said, I have no evidence that they're not in compliance. Dan Coates, now director of national intelligence, says, do we have no evidence that they're not in compliance? The uh, IAEA, or whatever the initials are, right, says they're in total compliance. We have monitors. We have inspections. There's this lab outside of Vienna. New York Times had a piece on that last week where they've got cameras. They've got monitors in every one of these all over. Around. We have tons of inspections going on. But Bolton knows that Bolton doesn't say they're not in compliance. He just says maybe they're not or something like that. Well, Bolton also thought Saddam had weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, so. right. And he's a guy who's now Donald Trump's chief foreign, one of chief foreign policy advisors. Um, let's talk about North Korea. Is Donald Trump going to be a Nixon in China here with North Korea? <laughs> Is this his Nixon in China moment? Um, you know, I think increasingly I really feel like the summit actually might happen. I, I oh, think, I think so. They've announced yeah, a date and a place, and a place. now. <laughs> uh, and I, I think we're going to see pictures of um, Trump and Kim Oh, it, it, shaking hands. It's going to be a big photo op for sure. <laughs> uh, but, you know, style doesn't really matter as much as substance What's, when it comes to North yeah, Korea. What, what, what do you think the substance will come out of that? And, and this, I don't think the administration even knows yet because you're hearing like kind of things that are not quite in sync with one another coming out of the administration. Well, denuclearization is what we hear all the time. OK, look, that term means really? different things to different people. Right. For us, it means, I think, as last no I nukes. checked, yeah, no nukes. No nukes, but, period. But for the North Koreans, they want to, denu um, the nu they want to denuclearize North uh, Korean Peninsula. But for them, that means getting rid of U.S. troops on the peninsula because the U.S. effectively provides South Korea with a nuclear cover. So this is there's a long way to go before that. But then what you have is like Pompeo saying, oh, we also want them to get rid of their chemical and biological weapons. Which, I mean, I don't know where that's, you know, is that the first thing you do? Is that the second thing you do? Then Pompeo had said, look, we want to make sure our objective is to prevent the North Koreans from having a nuclear threat against America. Right. So then if you're Japan and you're South Korea, you're like, well, what about the nuclear threat against <laughs> us? Right. So and Bolton is saying things that are not quite matching up. And so I'm pretty confident that they don't know yet what they want. There's a long way to go there. Does the release, you wrote a piece about this, the release of the prisoners increase the chances of a better deal? And didn't you say it put some other prisoners maybe more at risk? Huh. Right. I mean, the U.S. has, you know, Americans are being held by a number of governments overseas on what supporters say are unjust charges. And what Trump has done is, like, he's managed to get some prisoners freed from countries that he has um, made overtures to, including recently North Korea and in the past Egypt. But he's also gone really hard after other governments like Iran and Venezuela that are holding American prisoners. So yeah. this doesn't bode well for the ones who are still being in, held. In those countries. Huh? Right, right. Because, I mean, you know, the prisoners issue is complicated. Now, are you saying, is it going to make it easier for the nuclear issue to be resolved with North Korea? Honestly, I don't think it really is going to make a difference in the long run. I think that Kim's ability to simply give this up, it was a nice gesture. He probably didn't want to deal with these people anymore. It brought him unwanted attention that, you know, he doesn't need. He has his own people he can oppress. Um, so, you know, 
uh, you know, whatever, give up the Americans. But um, but is that going to like, you know, is that going to make the U.S. change the way how hard it is on North Korea over its nuclear program? I mean, my God, if that's what it's it, I'm not sure that that's something that any administration would want to premise its nuclear policy on right. is Americans held overseas. Uh, what we all can't wait to see, though, as you pointed out, is the picture of the two guys with bad hair shaking hands and uh, and the two guys with monumental egos shaking hands of both of them playing to the camera. And, you know, it's going to be. Uh, I wish I could be a flyer on the wall. I really do. <laughs> we will all be flies on the yeah. wall. Well, for the that Chinese one. We will. will definitely have a, a fly, a motor, a computerized <laughs> you know fly it. on the wall recording everything. Thanks, Nahal. Great to see you <laughs> at Politico.com. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, she insulted John McCain, but she's still got a job at the Trump White House. Surprise, surprise. Hello, everybody. Here we go on a Monday, Monday, May 14. So good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. It is The Bill Press Show. We are live across the uh, all around the world today. Uh, particularly coast-to-coast from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. With all the news of the day, a belated Happy Mother's Day. Hope you had a uh, great weekend and uh, had a chance to um, uh, celebrate uh, your mom, your grandmom, mothers-to-be or whatever, um, made the most of it, and now ready to dive into a very busy news week starting today. Uh, ceremony, I believe, already over with the dedication of uh, the new American embassy in the city of Jerusalem, um, upending decades of uh, tr- American tradition of not intervening in that question and leaving the players in the region to decide it themselves. So much to talk about. We need some help, and we got it. And Graham Weiss from New Republic joining us for the next hour as a friend of Bill. Graham, good to see you. Good to see you, too. Happy well, Monday. Welcome back. Such Happy, as it is. As, such <laughs> as it is, exactly. Uh, and we'll cover the news of the day with your help. Remember, you are the most important guest of all, so send us your comments on Twitter, at uh, BP Show, whether you agree or disagree with uh, our take on the news of the day. We always like hearing from you. Uh, again, the easy way to do so, send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. So, Graham and I have got a long list of things we want to talk about with you. We'll get right into it. But first, this is the Full yes, Court indeed. Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Yes, all right. So, we know Steve Wynn is a very bad man, but he is also a very rich man. And this, is, this story is fascinating because he was going to sell one of his Picasso paintings for $70 million over the weekend. That's what they were going to start it at. But... They had to take it off of the auction block because it was damaged. Now, 
The spokesperson for Wynn would not comment as to what happened, but... Remember, he put his elbow through. In 2006, it was a different Picasso painting that he put his elbow through. Wynn has a disease where he has a problem with uh, peripheral vision. And so he put his elbow through a Pablo Picasso painting back in 2006 that that he had just bought for $139 million. So he had another Picasso painting he was going to put on the market and put up for auction, but it was also no. damaged. Another and they elbow? didn't say why. Or they didn't say what happened. They didn't say what happened. So perhaps he put another atomic elbow through a Picasso painting. But if I were him, I would probably just stay away from all valuable pieces of artwork. Uh, yeah. He's like Mr. You know, Magoo. He's like to just put a ring around or something like put that. Put a huge yeah. Steve Wynn barrier around all uh, valuable pieces of art. Uh, on Friday, I mentioned that NBC said that they were going to be canceling a couple of their TV shows, including one of their more popular shows, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Well, people lost their minds over this. They went nuts. Oh. Celebrities tweeting about it, people sort of coming out and saying how much they loved it. And less than 24 hours after they announced it was going to be canceled, they came back and said, "Uh, we're going to change our mind about this, actually. We're going to pick it back up. They renewed the show. It is going to come back. Uh, So it's happening. Yeah. It's happening. It It worked, y'all. Everybody got loud. Everybody got upset. Uh, and NBC. I love it when decide. protests yeah. work. Like Consumer that. power. Exactly. I had I had friends who you know were on the whole emotional roller coaster of the whole thing. Yeah, the, the yeah. loss of the show, the, oh. the the return of the show. Oh. Totally. I haven't seen it, but it sounds good. And one final story as we wrap up: Avengers: Infinity War continues to make a ton of money. It is now the fifth highest grossing film of all time. It brought in one point six billion dollars that is the global box office sales it just opened up in china by the way which they expected it to have a pretty big uh, opening there so just making more and more and more, 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 more money. money yeah Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Uh, Donald Trump has a new slogan, make China great again. <laughs> Can you believe it? Yeah, he's going to save jobs, all right? The problem is those jobs are all in China. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is Monday, May 14. Uh, here we go. The Bill Press Show coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and reaching out to you all across this great land of ours, online, on television, and on radio. Good to have you with us uh, on Free Speech TV, on the great WCPT out in the greater Chicago area, and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Uh, already, even a Monday, a busy week here, Graham Weiss from the New Republic, Republic joins us as a friend of Bill for this hour. Graham, good to see you. Good to see you, too. So this... Uh, this <laughs> This decision, so let's, let's kind of back up these Chinese jobs. So um, the president says he's going to slap these sanctions on China, right? And then there's this one company, ZTE, I think it is. Yeah, an electronics firm there, a big, major, big uh, employer in China. And they said, well, these sanctions are going to prevent us from getting the parts that we need, so we're probably going to have to shut down. <laughs> uh, and suddenly now Donald Trump tweets out, 
we're work, I'm working with President Xi to save this Chinese company and to save these 70,000. Here, here's a tweet, exactly. Yep. Too many jobs <clears throat> in China lost. Commerce Department has been instructed to get it done. 75,000 people. Yeah. Make China great again. I mean, it's sort of amazing. You, you can think about it, I think, in two ways. One is the the, the sort of obviously the, the hypocrisy angle of just, you know, he campaigned as, as being tough on China and now he's uh, looking to work with them. But I actually think the, the way I think about it is the guy – this is what happens when you have a president who who doesn't really have any policy instincts and is just you know it seems like he's just sort of trying out different a, a different approach every day you he know and throws and stuff out there exactly right, right. Yeah. seeing what sticks and yeah. now the people who are actually shaping the policy certainly have firm you know uh, a firm agenda you know and uh, and which i think is you know part of why uh, you know the president who pledged to drain the swamp seems to have done just the opposite in terms of who he's appointed and whose interest he's advanced. But we've seen this before, right? So he says, we're going to have these massive tariffs, steel and aluminum, anybody. They say, oh, yeah, on second, mm, no, not Canada. No, we're going to give them, right? And then right. And then, mm, maybe not China, whatever. I mean, you know, or, or not the European, I forget where it is right now. I keep He kept taking people off the list, right? Right. And sort of the same thing here. He does this, we're going to have these massive tariffs against China, and now he hears about this one company, seventy-five thousand. Oh, we got to save them. Yeah, right. I, I also, uh, I also wonder if the, this falls into the category. Don't of, you think there's they should like think these things through? <laughs> well, he he kind of before he, you take the action. He kind uh, of governs by anecdote, though, right? I mean, there are all these. There's all this reporting about how he he will see something on Fox and Friends that's like. A, a sort of anecdotal example of, of of something happening, and all of a sudden he'll he'll want to make a new policy, you know, about based on that. You know, so I think that's how he processes information. It's like he doesn't he doesn't really think in a systemic way uh, from from everything. Uh, in terms of uh, we've learned um, governing by Twitter, I, I saw this morning. Um, he had a tweet about here it is. Yes, U.S. embassy opening in Jerusalem. Will be covered live on Fox News <laughs> and Fox Business. Lead up to 9 a.m. Eastern event has already begun. A great day for Israel. Oh my God. A great day for Israel. I haven't right? seen that. Yet. Not necessarily for the United States. Yeah. But or the world. So he is. He's he's the publicity department for Fox News. Yeah. I hadn't see, seen by that. By the way, did you see by the way when he welcomed back the prisoners from North Korea? He goes. Oh, Welcome yeah. back. Yeah. Welcome back. This is the best ratings TV yeah. has ever seen for a right. 2 a.m. broadcast. Imagine, imagine yeah. you, you're a prisoner. Yeah, that's the, the, that's the first <laughs> thing you hear from the president of the United you're States. You're on a tarmac somewhere, <laughs> yeah. and the guy is talking about television ratings. Right. Look at how good yeah. the ratings are. What mm -hmm. are you doing for the ratings for these mm -hmm. TV stations? Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. Thanks for coming home. <laughs> To help us get good ratings. You've had wow. this like harrowing experience, yeah. you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and Trump's <laughs> talking about the, the, the ratings of television. He's shows. not talking about freedom. No, but whatever. that's He's what he cares about. about. Yeah. That's really what he cares about. Yeah. That, yeah. The, just the idea that he would even think about that. Yeah. Right? Number one. And let alone then publicly talk about it is pretty frightening. Yeah.
Well, and Olivia Nuzzi has this new piece in New York Magazine today about how he and Sean Hannity, you know, sit up late at night. And I think her phrasing is, you know, gabbing like old girlfriends about, you know, everything from how well Trump is doing to whose shows suck and, you know, who who's down in the ratings. I mean, this is it's like that's his comfort food. You know, the president, that's that's this is the kind of stuff that just I think for fun, you know, at the, what he's unwinding at the end of the day. He, you know, talks to Sean Hannity about this stuff. Uh, now, here is a uh, little fact that I had kind of lost track of. Thursday, this Thursday, um, is a pretty important milestone. This Thursday marks the end of year one of the Mueller investigation wow. and the beginning of year two. Mm-hmm. What does that tell us? Well, I mean, it it's it it, it tells us. Uh, I don't think the. I mean, I don't know what the anniversary tells us, other than you know, it it, it seems well, it, it seems like it's a much more serious uh, investigation than it was a year ago. I think that's the answer. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it tells us this thing is ongoing. Yeah, the grand jury is still meeting every day. Witnesses yeah. are still coming in, uh, and uh, this it's not about to stop. No, right? this idea that was going to end last yeah. last. Thanksgiving, right? And I think you you have started to hear people, even people who were sort of skeptical. And I think we should still, you know, not believe that the Mueller investigation is going to be the silver bullet that's, you know, going to end the presidency, although it certainly could be. Uh, but as more and more has come out, you know, about the, the length of it and about these other scandals swirling, I think, you know, the, the people start to believe that the Russia is, issue is, is more serious and has more credibility even even than skeptics, you know, thought a year ago. You know, so I think I, I'm, 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 I've been struck over the past few months of just how uh, you know, the, there does seem to be this there, there, you know, and so we'll see what Mueller comes up with. Yeah. And, and as we've said many times, you never know what is going to happen next with Mueller because, yeah. you know, he, he keeps it very, runs a very, tight ship, runs a very tight ship. He's the only guy in Washington who can keep a secret. Uh, <laughs> but he, you know, he's still at it and he's still boring down. Right. On, and, um, and, and seemingly getting more into, the financial side of things, yeah, particularly with the Trump organization and deals that they may have made and promises they may have made, whatever, before even before, which which spilled over into the campaign, and we've seen some of that now with, in addition to Mueller, with the Michael Cohen investigation, Absolutely. in New York, where yeah. uh, my, um, Michael Avenatti, <laughs> Stormy Daniels' attorney, yeah. comes out with these financial records of Michael Cohen, which shows he's taking money from. Everybody for selling access to Donald Trump, including yeah. from a Russian oligarch. Now, yeah. what's that all about? Right. How does he have these connections? With just, just an awful lot of Russians everywhere. Aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> no, they pop up everywhere. It's amazing. <laughs> so, but uh, no, the, I mean the Michael Cohen. It's, it's. I, I you know, I've, I'll be honest. I, it's hard to even follow every twist and turn of it. I mean, this is like every day there's some new bazaar. Like you said, the, the you know, this sort of shell, shell companies and oligarchs, and it's, it's. Uh, He's really, he's really up to his neck in it. Uh, no, I was talking to an attorney friend of mine over the weekend. There's no, if, I mean, there's, there's just no way. If Michael, if, if the judge tells Michael Cohen, all right, you're looking at 30 years, dude, right? There's that he no wouldn't way. flip. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Right. We'll see. And uh, I mean, would you? He's got his, he's got his family, his <laughs> wife, his family, whatever, his future. 
And he's going to do it for Donald Trump. If you're, if you're way, asking Donald me if Trump, I would go to jail for Donald Trump, I would not. Just okay. just, to be, just to be clear. Just <laughs> say, say well, it. let me ask you this. Would you invite him to your funeral? <laughs> uh, no, no, no. You wouldn't do that either. No. no. But um, particularly the reason I say he would flip is because he has to know that Donald Trump would throw him under the bus in a New York <laughs> of second. Of course. Of course. Yeah. I mean, you know, no, no real loyalty to anyone, you know, except maybe his daughter. But uh, certain, not to not to Jared Kushner. I mean, it's amazing. Really, well, it's really amazing. Well, I mean, as Rudy Giuliani has told us, Jared is disposable. <laughs> that was pretty, pretty, pretty damning. <laughs> you know, um, while we're on the subject of Mueller, Rudy uh, gave a uh, a cell phone interview with ABC News, so the sound is not so great here. Uh, on the on the Robert Mueller thing uh, over the weekend, the question again, and remember, Rudy was brought in allegedly because he knows Mueller. Mueller worked for him; they have a good relationship. So he was the one who could smooth over this possible interview, mm-hmm. Mueller interviewing the President of the United States. Uh, that was Rudy's. That's Rudy's challenge. Here's what he says about the prospects of that. I don't see how, in any way, he could sit down with Mueller. We couldn't prepare him. We couldn't prepare him for it. Uh, and he would, just wouldn't have the time to do it. Wouldn't have the time to do it. But. So it doesn't sound like Rudy, uh, <laughs> Rudy's pushing for that meeting no. right now. No. Also, I love the we couldn't prepare him for it. Like, I mean, what does that say? That they, that they, that there, there would be no way to get him. Pre- I mean, you know, unless I'm missing something, that seems pretty damning in and of itself. Uh, I think it's on the face of it. What he's saying is, yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. no way we could prevent his yeah. lying under oath. Right. I mean, it's it's that's what that right? seems to be, be the consensus. That yeah. that's what We're, would happen. There's no way we could prepare him well enough that he would not commit perjury. Yeah. Or or or, or yeah. yeah. I mean. So do you think? I mean, do you think he ultimately will? What's your What's your sense of how, if you if you were guessing? Um, I think it could go to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court could. I I think legally, he has to. If they order him to, obviously. If they order him to, yeah. That's yeah. the thing. Like, it, will, will he do he, it on his own he, accord? Will he volunteer? No. Absolutely. If they not. subpoena him, I think he'll have to. And then, and that's again, it's that's ba- basically of, no man. I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but if we really believe no man is above the law, right? How, and that's where, how, how where we'll find out him? whether we're in a, a true constitutional crisis or not. In other words, if he then defies, you know, a court or the court, you know, and 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 refuses, I mean, then we're then we're really in in in, in a deep here. But we'll see. I mean, that you would know, be pretty never extreme. Never came to a head with Richard Nixon because he resigned first. That's right. But Bill Clinton did have to uh, to appear before the or they they went to the White House, mm-hmm. but he had to be interviewed. So I don't see how Donald Trump can escape it either. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, meanwhile, another flap uh, is uh, the White House just can't s- seem to get free of these daily scandals. The latest, of course, is with um, White House aide Kelly Sadler uh, remarking about John McCain. It didn't matter that he opposed uh, the uh, nomination of Gina Haspel because, quote unquote, he's dying anyway. Yeah, uh, she still has a job, and the White House has not apologized, and she has not apologized. You know, allegedly, privately, I mean, Megan McCain says she did in a phone call apologize to her privately, but Megan said you have to issue a public apology. She said you're right, and I will. It was five days ago. It hasn't happened. Friday on the on the View, uh, Megan McCain said it's just you know what kind of a place is this when 
this woman is still on the job. I don't understand what kind of environment you're working in when that would be acceptable, and then you can yes. come to work the next day and still have a job. Yeah. Why wouldn't the White House just say, this is wrong, anybody who says that doesn't belong here, boom. Well, other than the fact that they seem, this seems to be the no-apology White House, I mean, it's like part of their constitution that just no matter how egregious their actions, uh, and this comes from Trump's psyche, just, you know, double down, you know, don't, don't, don't give an inch, you know, it's a form of, it's like a power move in some, some weird way for the base. Now for like normal people, for like the rest of the country, I think it looks really reprehensible. And I actually, it's funny. I mean, I heard your conversation about this earlier in the show. I think we don't, from the reporting I've read, you can't quite tell what the tone was, what the context was of this joke, you know, that was told. So, you know, I would be open to the idea that this staffer could keep her job if she had come out and said at the beginning, look, you know, I, of course I apologize. You know, I'm so sorry if I've caused any, you know, uh, yeah. any, any disrespect. I think the thing that's truly bizarre about this saga is just the, the, these sequence of days in which... They're, they were, you know, she tells Meghan McCain one thing and she refuses to do it. You know, the, there's no apology from the White House. I mean, that, to me, that's the more bizarre part. It's just like put out a statement, you know, just just it's easy to do. Yeah. Sarah Huckabee Sanders won't even acknowledge, acknowledge that, that it, she made, right, the, because she says made the comment because you know, leaking and uh, and can't confirm that. But, uh, you know, it's 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 totally bizarre. And, and I mean, look, we know there's no love lost between. John McCain and and this president uh, and and we know that uh, you know they have this long history dating back to, as you said, uh, that somehow uh, the one thing we all agree on about John McCain that he's a war hero who endured <laughs> torture and 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 that was a huge service to this country you know and, and an admiral patriotic uh, thing that he did you know Trump manages to basically flippantly dismiss that as you know i i like people who weren't captured and you know i remember seeing that clip and the pollster frank luntz was sitting next to uh, to trump when he said that and just looked totally aghast by the whole by the whole situation yeah i mean you know look i wish people would listen to john mccain the only member of the senate or the entire congress right of course who, who was in fact tortured yeah i wish they would listen to him and say that somebody who doesn't did, uh, 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 that condemned torture as being immoral like her doesn't deserve that job. Mm -hmm. But even if they ignore what he says about those things, it still doesn't make it okay to ridicule him or insult him when he's dying of brain cancer, right? right. No. And it'd be so easy for any of them just to say, oh, yeah, I should never have said that. I'm, very, I'm so sorry. Boom. End of story. Right. In fact, they just cannot bring themselves to it. What you said is interesting. Come to think of it. Unless I'm forgetting something, help me out, Peter. I don't. I can't remember Donald Trump ever apologizing for anything. No. Right. He certainly didn't apologize for those Don, uh, John McCain remarks during well, the campaign. He, he's actually talked about this and written about this. Like when you apologize, you've lost. Right. That's what the now he did. It's uh, part of like the art of the deal. You he, know, like if you've apologized for anything. He put out some video about the Access Hollywood tape, like in the days after. That was just he said it was locker room talk. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I even don't remember if the words I, I don't "I'm think sorry" that the words "I'm sorry" fell out of his mouth. Yeah, probably not. I'm sorry. We'll have it, to look. Yeah, but you're right. The classic is generally. I didn't mean it that way. I'm sorry if somebody took it the wrong way. Oh right? yeah, exactly. Or I'm sorry if <laughs> if somebody I hurt somebody in. 
But I don't think he's even done that. No. It's the best kind of apology. Like, I'm sorry you got so upset. Exactly. Yeah, like, right. So, right. <laughs> Translation, I'm sorry you're such a wimp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry you can't take a little joke. I'm sorry joke. you're so upset. Yeah. No, it's that, it's, it's unbelievable. Right. Uh, but, you know, it, 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 you know, I think it's just it, it's, it's disgusting. It would be so easy to put it right. But at this point, you know, five days later, Maybe too late. Exactly. Uh, on the political front, you have been uh, taking a look at one race, which is very interesting. Uh, up in New York State, uh, Andrew Cuomo turns out to have, is she a serious threat or not with Cynthia Nixon? So Sex in the City, former Sex in the City actress Cynthia Nixon, who also, as I uh, wrote in a recent piece, turns out to be a longtime uh, public education activist for about 17 years in New York State. Uh, advocating for more uh, and better, uh, more equitable school funding in New York is running uh, now in the Democratic primary uh, against uh, sitting incumbent Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo, who, you know, this is his third term, right? Would it be his third? I I think that's right. Yeah, Yeah. right. He's had two. Um, And uh, and Andrew Cuomo is is an interesting figure. Obviously, uh, Mario Cuomo's son, uh, the he came in uh, in 2010 as a as a, a sort of markedly centrist Democrat and uh, and really took on uh, the teachers union, took on sort of public sector unions in general. Um, he has m- more recently racked up some uh, progressive accomplishments like uh, uh, free college with uh, with uh, unveiling that with Senator Bernie Sanders and uh, and I believe a higher minimum wage. And so, you know, he he's going to make the case that he's got a, uh, a sort of uh, effective uh, record of, of progressive governance, but the, there's a sense that he's vulnerable from the left yeah, in, in a variety of ways. And uh, and so Cynthia Nixon has come, kind of come in and, and uh, she remains, uh, tra- she's trailing him by about 20 points in the latest poll. So he's, you know, he doesn't look like he's, uh, yeah. you know, super vulnerable yet. What's interesting is that in the first, I believe, month and a half that she was in the race, she closed that gap by about 16 points. So in other words, at the moment, you know, there he's still got 20 points ahead, but you know, she's starting to starting to close the gap and it's early. I mean, we've got a whole summer yeah. before uh, and I think it, what she is banking on is that we're in this moment where uh progressives uh, are, are have no appetite for anything that smells like moderation and and of uh, sort of centrism and, and compromise, and she she's essentially you know going to try to get to the left of him on everything. You know she she uh, she she's come out and, and taken some really. Um, yeah, what are the big issues? I mean, she well, she she's she's come after him uh, on on a variety of issues. I mean, she's she uh, she has come after him on housing policy, sort of equity when it comes to to housing. Uh, she's come after him on. I wrote about this issue of education funding. You know, mm-hmm. he um, he is someone who over the years. Uh, has been supportive of charter schools and supportive of, um, uh, you know, more. Uh, he he was he was endorsed or, or uh, and supported by the the Democrats for education reform, which is a, a hedge fund, Wall Street backed uh, sort of you know centrist education policy group. Um, he you know her line on the View is that uh, you know uh, Governor Cuomo is a little more like Betsy DeVos than we'd like to think, uh, and and so you know.
you know, she's coming at him on, on that issue. There's also this issue of um, that they're they're debating about what's the best way to sort of equitably fund uh, fund the schools uh, in in New York State to to sort of as in she frames it as a a racial justice uh, issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's sort of tricky to, to understand because she she comes out and says something like, um, you know, she's for Medicare for all, single payer, and Andrew Cuomo has has said things like, oh, that might be some a good idea. We should look at that, right? So he he's very good at, uh, you know, he wants people to think he, that he's progressive, and, and certainly on some issues he's got a record of, of accomplishment. But, I'll, you know, the, the main takeaway from as I was reporting this is that she she seems to think she can get to the left of him on, uh, on everything from health care to uh, education. Is this a rematch of uh, Bernie Sanders and uh, Hillary Clinton? Well, I mean, it's again. I, I think she—that's certainly uh, sort of the the framing that Nixon would would like you to understand that this has is. Has she been endorsed by Our Revolution or the Progressive Change Campaign Committee? She, so you know? she she came and gave a speech to the Progressive Change Campaign Committee and was on stage with them. So I. I, I don't know if they've had a formal endorsement yet, but I but she certainly you know they're they love her and it seems like the, there are uh, the you know progressive group you know she, Keith Ellison was on stage with her when she uh, spoke at the P Triple C and you know said you know I, I like what I hear that sort of thing um, so forgive me I, I'm not sure what the status of those those uh, formal endorsements are but it, it does seem like she's got the energy of those those progressive groups um, you know it'll be interesting to see what Sanders does i mean he again he worked with cuomo on this free free college uh program which for all it it, you know it's a limited program it doesn't cover you know all of the students and families in new york state that critics say it should but there's no question that it was a path-breaking uh program right right achieved but so this this kind of a dynamic is playing out across the country particularly i mean in democratic primaries um, and it's it sort of reminds me of what ha- we saw in the Republican Party eight eight or ten years ago, right, where the Tea Partiers were just coming into their own, challenging incumbent Republicans. Uh, I see this happening more in open seats, but here it's an incumbent, where progressives are saying, you know, we need to be um, that we need to, the party and the candidate, our nominee has to be more to the left than we've right. been than we've seen in the past and so these are playing in many many states red states and blue states i think i think that's right and and and, and her what's interesting is uh, and i think it's very healthy by the way and a lot of people are lamenting this oh my god yeah. it looks like a party but I, I think it's part of the growth of the party and it's it certainly i think reflects the continuing influence of of bernie sanders and i think in many cases i i believe that the progressives are right that a, a more progressive candidate can win in districts where we might have didn't think they could before, you know. At the same time, a guy like Connor Lamb, right, fit the district that he ran in, yeah. and that's the most important. So I think part of Nixon's argument is that New York is a famously blue state, right? So exactly. So the, yeah. the, 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 the there's he, no doubt if, you could be a lot more to the left than Andrew Cuomo is and, and win get elected. In New York, yeah, yeah. So, but, but you know, <laughs> well, I, it's let's just say it's one of the races I'm watching the most closely this year. I think it's going to be a really interesting primary to see to see uh, how well you know how well she does. It will it will tell us a lot about where Democrats are on this these questions of um, you know populist left uh, challengers to to establishment well, yeah and, and plus i think in this case now a, a lot depends on whether she can get the support she can raise the money she can have the impact but from what i hear from people in new york i mean andrew cuomo basically nobody likes him 
He, uh, <laughs> you notice that with all the talk about 2020, I never hear his name. Here he is. You Sitting know, governor. Jerry we used Brown. To. And, we used to. Yeah. Not yeah, anymore. Not anymore. No. So Jerry Brown, people are saying, well, you know, he's 80 now, so otherwise he would be a contender. But Andrew Cuomo is a lot younger and governor of the other large blue coastal state. You go through the list of 2020, his name, I, I never hear his name on the list. Jay Inslee from Washington State, the only governor people talk about. Yeah. Well, he's I mean, he as, as I said, he, he has a reputation, particularly early in his tenure of even kind of stymieing progressive priorities. And he there was this I won't get into it, but there was this whole issue with uh, there's this independent caucus of sort of moderate Democrats yeah, in the state yeah. Senate. And he was sort of, you know, I'll, I'll seem to be aligned with them. And so th- that independent right. caucus would work with Republicans to prevent progressive accomplishments. I, I, I would worry about Andrew Cuomo uh, in in 2020 in terms of his prospects. It's an interesting (laughs) political calculation to try and piss off every member of both parties. (laughs) We'll see how it works out for him. But but so far, it's not working out so well. All right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be coming right right back. And uh, Graham is staying here as a friend of Bill, of course. And we'll be joined by Jennifer Williams from Vox uh, on uh, some of the more important issues of the day that we've been uh, following. Hang in there. Quick break. We'll be right back. Now, on a Monday, Monday, May 14, the, the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and joining you everywhere in this great land of ours, online, on the radio, and on television. Well, we're brought to you today by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the good men and women of the UFCW under President Mark Perrone. They are a proud union family that feeds, serves, and provides for America's hardworking families, those good men and women you meet uh, behind the counter, stocking the shelves, checking you out at every supermarket in this, uh, in this country, the UFCW.org. Check out their website. Graham Weiss from A New Republic, here as a friend of Bill this uh, Monday morning, uh, joined now by Jennifer Williams who, get this, is the Deputy Foreign and National Security Editor for Vox. Vox. That's Vox with a V, just so everyone's clear. Vox, right. (laughs) And co-host of Worldly, which is Vox's foreign affairs podcast. Hey, Jennifer, nice to see you. Hey, thanks for having me. With all those responsibilities, it's good of you to take a little time out to join us. Who needs sleep? It's overrated. (laughs) I know, I know. So um, I want to start with a story that we haven't, um, that doesn't fall maybe into either of your wheelhouses. Um, But lead story in the New York Times this morning, we knew this, but they put some numbers on it. Wide racial gap for pot arrests in New York City. Turns out that across the city... Young black people were arrested on low-level marijuana charges at eight times the rate of white non-Hispanic people over the last three years. You know, it's, it's even worse than we thought, right? You would think maybe twice as many, eight times as many. It's ridiculous. It really just shows, you know, the disparity in, this, in, the, in, in the, the enforcement of our drug laws, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, there is a real racist aspect to this war on drugs. That a lot of people just refuse to recognize. Yeah. And just the police there in general. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Just policing in general, I think there's a massive racial disparity. Absolutely. Right. So, um, I think it, of that every time that I walk down the street smoking a joint as a white guy, <laughs> which I'm able to do. I can get away with it. And that's privilege. I get it. Sure. Yeah. I wonder how it is in cities where they've now 
well, I guess it's not. I just came back from San Francisco. The great thing about San Francisco these days, you can get high just by walking down the street. <laughs> you, you get sm- in trouble if you weren't getting high on the street. Because <laughs> the fumes are just everywhere. Yeah, right. Right. But this 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 is just ridiculous, and I'm glad the the New York Times has pulled some attention to that. So. Um, Jennifer, where do we start? Uh, let's start with, and, and Graham and I just talked a little bit about um, the, the whole flap about the, the in John McCain and the insult from this White House staffer, right. Kelly Sadler's, which was just just disgusting. But the, the question comes back to the reason John McCain, and you've written about this, the reason John McCain opposes the nomination of Gina Haspel is because she refuses to say that torture is immoral. Right. And she kind of says what well, she did it, oversaw it, in, in, and it was perfectly legal. It right. w- wasn't at the time, was it? Uh, well, that that is still up for debate. Uh, so according to the uh, the legal officials at the time in the Bush administration, they oh, yeah. contorted themselves into uh, delightful <laughs> pretzels to try to figure out ways to make it sound kind of legal. <laughs> Um, <laughs> including, this, this is the best part, so one of the memos, the famous John Yu memo, right. right, saying, yeah, it's totally legal. If you look at the footnotes, they cited uh, something from the International Criminal Tribunal for Former Yugoslavia, which is a literal war crimes trial. If you're citing, like, a war crimes tribunal to, like, maybe say that torture is legal, maybe take a step back and go, I might be on the wrong side of history here. That's just me. But wait a minute. Slobodan Milosevic believed it was legal, right? <laughs> right. And if that guy so says it's legal, so if it's good we'll enough for fine. Slobo, it's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's good enough for America. Yeah. Let's go ahead and put that on the dollar. Good enough for that's W, great. right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, Make according Yugoslavia to Make Yugoslavia great again. <laughs> Make, oof. According to you know, <laughs> it's just so. Weak. It's, <laughs> it's all really so bad. Weak. It's really bad. Uh, but yeah, I mean, according to like you know the legal memos that they got, right. And if you're at the CIA, they were told it was legal. Uh, that's all well and good. Um, I feel like any rational human would consider. I mean, if you want to talk about what these people were actually having done to them, right? Like, regardless of whether they were bad guys or good guys, right? Abu Zubaydah ended up not actually being a member of Al Qaeda. Oops. Uh, others were actually, but regardless, like we're literally throwing humans up against the wall. They were locking them in coffins, you know, tiny little coffins, uh, waterboarding, things like that. I can't imagine by any stretch of the imagination keeping them sleep deprivation. Yeah, sleep deprivation. Yeah, that naked, sounds like it's that. not that bad. But if you're kept awake for like three Days. weeks or right. weeks, yeah, 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 that would really that's, and that's torture. And it is. I mean, even sleep deprivation alone and like physical beatings. It doesn't have to be you know bamboo shoots under the fingernails, like stuff you see on Ugh. TV, like that kind of stuff. It is torture. We have prosecuted other people for war crimes for doing these things to Americans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you actually look at John McCain's own, I think it was maybe ABC News. Somebody printed um, a while back his like full account of what actually happened to him, and and there wasn't waterboarding. It was just like beatings and starvation and sleep deprivation and things like that and, and solitary confinement. So if he was tortured, and we called that torture, why is it not torture when we do it? It's right. like it, it, it's fundamentally. And when we do lesson. things that are in some cases more and, extreme. Yeah, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, yes, according to the memos that they got officially, they were told what they were doing is legal um, as a human. If you're told that something is legal. So what's crazy is in Gina Haspel during her confirmation hearing, um, you know, she said, I have a strong moral compass. I know. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I think it might be broken because <laughs> it's pointing the wrong direction. Right. Um, 
She also was involved in the destruction of videotapes of torture. It's a whole nother issue. She also said in her opening statements that she was a strong believer in rule of law and oversight. But she also decided that it would be okay to, you know, destroy videotapes. So... Uh, you know, what you say in the confirmation hearing and what you actually believe are not always the same Well, I, I want to play a couple of clips, actually. I pulled up some clips from her confirmation hearing because a lot of this comes down to do you just take her at her word, right? So in her opening statement, she talked about how her moral compass was strong. My moral compass is strong. I would not allow CIA to undertake activity that I thought was immoral, even if it was technically legal. Um, I would absolutely uh, not permit it. And sort of on that same thing, she was asked by uh, Senator Martin Heinrich if this was started up again, which Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, has said he w- he thinks it's a good idea and that we should go down that path. If this was started up again, would you go along with it? What would you do if the president ordered you to get back in that business? Senator, the, the president um, has a, selected me to give him yes advice. No. I would not restart under any circumstances in an interrogation program at CIA, under any circumstances. Thank you. So, so, again, we get back to this thing that she's done it before, she has a history of doing this, but now she's seen the light and we're just supposed to take her word for it. She also said, in response to that question from someone else, I guess, oh, Donald Trump will never ask me to <laughs> engage in torture. Yes, let's trust that. Yeah, oh, okay. Go ahead. But he, he has already said... He's he's I mean, you, you you know, as well as all of us do. I mean, he's 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 said that wants to do worse than waterboarding. Yeah. He says that, yeah. you know, it's like and he said it works. Yeah. And it's so interesting. It, it It's it's pe- opponents of torture. It's framed as weakness. It's right. framed as, you know, why wouldn't we want to be as tough as we could be, as opposed to saying we have values. American values, you know, do not permit us to stoop to the level of torturing people like all of the world's villains do, you know, and, and we are supposed to be better than that. It's just it's a completely different moral calculus it's like a lack of a moral calculus right because if we're fighting against the bad guys right and we're using the same tactics that they use what the hell are we fighting for right like, literally what do we stand for if you can't make a bright line stand on torture what can you make a stand on the fact that we can't even all agree that torture is bad it's not a really good sign for the state well, of our democracy two things number one that is bad and number two and here's where i think john mccain speaks more credibly than anybody else, it doesn't work. Right. right. Meaning you don't get necessarily good information from torture. And he, I, I, I don't understand why these people on the Hill say it does when he's the one guy who's tortured, you know, over a period of five and a half years. <laughs> you think he would know, right? <laughs> you would think he would know. And right. you think they would say, well, you know what? I'm not the expert. He is. No, instead. Right. So given all of that, right? It looks like she's going to be the next director of the CIA. It sure does. Yeah, um, it looks like they're probably going to have the votes, two Democrats. Thanks to... Joe Donnelly and uh, and Joe Manchin. So two Democratic senators who have come out and said, sure, we support her. How do you feel about that, Bill? I uh, had my say about them uh, <laughs> last week. CS Democrats, I call them, right? No, I mean, come on. And th- this this whole idea, I, as I said, you name one one person in West Virginia... Who would say, oh, man, I'm not going to vote for Joe Manchin because he voted against Gina Haspel. You can, <laughs> unless her mother lives in West Virginia. You <laughs> She's from not, Kentucky, so. Oh, all right. Uh, yeah. There you go. Then you so could not safe. find one person. That that argument is just total, total, total nonsense. Um, but 
At least Rand Paul's not going to vote for her. Yeah, we'll see. Wink, uh, he, wink. He, yeah, he definitely yeah. said that with Pompeo, and then, oops, I accidentally voted for him. I changed my mind, yeah. he says, yeah. I mean, look. Nobody <laughs> thinks that Rand Paul is going to stand up and vote against her. He's well, really I think great. he might. I mean, we'll really? see. We'll only, see. I mean, well, who, only, you know, only if they don't need his vote. Right? Well, right. That would give him some cover. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, yeah. but I, I, it does seem like, you know, it's, it's an open. I think it was, I, I don't have it in front of me, but uh, one of the senators, I think it was Chris Murphy, was told Politico, basically said, like, I love Rand, but uh, just can't, can't count on his vote until, <laughs> uh, until, until the vote, the roll is called, you know? So, That's fair. Uh, fair point. You know? So, um, it, 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 this 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 whole question though it, it is so uh, I don't know it's so frustrating that um, because you know better than I I mean the history of the CIA they've 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 got some there's a real dark side <laughs> yeah. to the CIA going way oh, yeah. back to the Frank Church days right mm-hmm. and then it was all came kind of came up again with under the Bush and Bush and Dick Cheney with cherry picking the intelligence mm-hmm. helping cherry pick the intelligence and on the Iraq war and the weapons of mass destruction and the torture chambers and the dark sites and the drones, the killer drones. So like right now, I I believe what this would be great for the CIA is somebody to lead them, like get their reputation back, like in a new direction. But Gina Haspel, she's part of that dark side. Right. What's fascinating though is that a lot of people in the CIA and I've talked to a lot of them, uh, sources that I have within the CIA and friends who are ex-CIA who support her. And I think a lot of that is, you know, to me, I find that baffling, right? Like, wouldn't you guys maybe not want to go back to that dark reputation era? But I think a lot of it has to do with that kind of she's one of us, right? Like, she was a good soldier. She, you know, it wasn't her fault that she was told, you know, too bad that excuse didn't actually work at Nuremberg. But, I mean, you know, I was just following orders, apparently a thing that we're going to use again. Um, Yeah, dragging that one out again. Yeah, exactly. That old chestnut. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's classic. Um, but I, I find that fascinating. And, you know, some other uh, people I've talked to in the CIA, which this is fascinating, they actually don't think that she was as centrally involved as she makes it out to be, that, like, there were lots of people who were involved in this program and that she actually plays it up to try to be, like, big, tough guy. Like, I'm a tough woman who can hang with the big boys in the CIA. And, like, yeah, I could I could torture some folks, right? Ugh. But that she was, like, actually just kind of like a boring bureaucrat, which, you know, again, boring bureaucrats can you know the banality of evil right like you can still institute torture even if you're just signing memos like did she actually do the torture herself i don't know we don't know if she was in the room but she definitely oversaw it and that's still a problem what's the greatest threat terrorist threat today where or when or who um so to the u.s to like the mainland united states here in the u.s uh it's you're basically talking about self-radicalized people. You're talking about, and not just Islamist terrorists, right? You're talking about far-right terrorists. You're talking about kind of anyone who, uh, those incels, right? These guys who, who are mad that they, they can't have sexual relationships with women, and so they go and kill people. Yeah. I saw a couple of these recently, right? So you're dealing with a lot of kind of the online radicalization, whether it has to do with ISIS, Al-Qaeda prop- propaganda mm-hmm. that's radicalizing them, or far-right Nazi kind of propaganda, as we saw in Charlottesville, you know, running down people. It's also a famous, you know, ISIS tactic. Now you see the far right using it. Delightful. Um, so that's the U.S., right? So it's our own people who are already here who are kind of losing their minds and, you know, carrying out these horrific attacks. Uh, that's a totally different story overseas, right? So if you're in Iraq and Syria, especially Syria still, and, and if North Africa and Indonesia, we just saw these horrific attacks. 
the entire family is carrying out suicide bombings, yeah. including children, which is just insane. Um, so then you have like the very serious like organized terrorist groups who are actually like operating on you know soil of these places. Um, it's very different than the actual terrorists that All we face ISIS here, ins- right? ISIS inspired. ISIS inspired, Al Qaeda inspired. Essentially, it's branding, right? So it used to be Al Qaeda. Now they're not popular. They're not cool anymore. So ISIS is the cool guys. Um, they're the ones that you you know say that you're part of. But a lot of these groups are still groups that have always been active, regardless of whether Al Qaeda or ISIS was active. They're local groups. A lot of them have local grievances they're trying to you know yeah. kind of accomplish. Um, but they take on this branding. They take on the ideology. They also get funding. They also get training and they also get propaganda so they learn how to you know carry out easier attacks and things like that so but i mean here in the united states that's literally not the threat that we face you don't have like al-qaeda cells training in oregon you know like there's no Mm -hmm. there's no threat like that and that's not to say that they couldn't carry out another attack right it's entirely possible Uh, but things have changed so much since 9-11 that it's actually way harder for them Mm -hmm. to carry out that's why you see these low-level attacks with like vehicle rammings because like it's not that hard to do that Whereas, you know, hijacking airplanes, like we, we've gotten a little bit better at that part, at least. Western Europe? Western Europe has its own problems. Yeah, a lot of that, you have to deal with foreign fighters. So you have these uh, all these fighters from all over the countries uh, in Europe who went to Iraq and Syria to join ISIS. Well, now they're coming back. And what do you do with them? Um, having, you know, do you have the ability to even track them? Almost all of the ones we've seen at these attacks, the security services knew them. They knew who they were. Mm. You know, and, and I'm not trying to knock them. Like, in their defense, it's really hard to track a whole lot of people, right? And what do you do? Like, if they haven't actually done anything, you know, they, they seem radicalized, but you know that they went and fought, right? So having to kind of keep tabs on all these people, it's difficult. So you're going to see more attacks there. Um, but you also have completely different situations there. You have different socioeconomic kind of situations. You have different kind of levels of integration, um, where you know you take a lot of these countries that were like take France or like former colonies down in Algeria and Tunisia and things like that, um, it's a completely different relationship that you have in the U.S. with immigrants, right, from from other countries. So you have them kind of ghettoized uh, in a lot of these countries in Western Europe, whereas here, you know, everyone's as integrated as everyone else, despite what John Kelly has to say about integrating immigrants. Right. Um, <laughs> Another whole topic. Uh, and here we are. <laughs> here we are. On a, yeah, John Kelly. On a, on a Monday, May 14, with uh, Graham Vice, here's a friend of Bill from uh, New Republic, uh, Jennifer Williams from Vox, Deputy Foreign and National Security Editor. Uh, big day in Jerusalem today. Um, uh, John Bolton says the fact that we are relocating our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem means this is going to make it easier to get to bring peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians. That sure is the party line. Uh, I'm not sure which party. Uh, so, so the White House line. We'll go with that. Um, look, you know, Trump is right. <laughs> let me. I don't say that very often, so let me just be clear to say that Trump is right to say that other presidents, Democrat and Republican, have all promised to do this, right? So oh, yeah. it's not that yeah. he's alone in that. He's. They, they all promise. They all promise they never do, right? right? So say he's what you al- will, he fulfilled his promise. He's alone in doing it. Right, yeah. exactly. And so he actually, and, and the reason that they promise to do that is because it works well in the campaign trail. But when the reason they don't do it when they get into office is everyone pulls them aside and goes, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> this is not going to go well. Um, and, and the problem is, right, It it kind of, not that America has ever actually been the kind of neutral arbiter in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but it has at least tried to portray itself as a neutral arbiter. Honest broker. Right, the honest broker. Yeah, those classic words. Um, but essentially, like, America has kind of said, you know, 
we're throwing in our lot with Israel's claim to Jerusalem. Now they say, technically, you know, the final status of Jerusalem is still on the table, right? Like we could still debate, like East Jerusalem can be for the Palestinians and West Jerusalem, you know, technically that's fine. We could still work that out, whatever. But it's kind of part of the broader kind of stronger pro-Israel shift that has happened in this administration. Um, you have, you know, no longer pushing for a two-state solution. It's kind of gone. They say, like, if the Israelis and Palestinians decide that's what they want, great, we'll sign off on that, sure. But it used to be the U.S. policy to push for that and say, like, this is the best solution. Um, and that's The U.S. Gone. policy also used to be no more settlements. Yeah, that's yeah, definitely. Remember that? That's adorable. Uh, yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> hey, remember those days? Yeah, that's basically gone. Now, I mean, Trump did push back against against Bibi, against Benjamin Netanyahu, um, and did rather hilariously, actually, at a press conference. Um, you know, Trump and Benjamin Netanyahu was like, "Hey, you gotta you gotta stop those settlements, dude." And like, Bibi Netanyahu was like, uh, uh, "Hello, we're on camera. Please don't say that." So, you know, Trump has done that. They have said things to them. Um, but, I mean, nothing substantive, right? And no. in general, though, like Netanyahu seems very happy with, with the Trump. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Presidency. Oh, God, he's all about the Trump train. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, 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 here's what uh, Bibi said today um, at the opening of the, uh, of the embassy. This is good for Israel. This is good for the region. It's good for the world. But it, 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 uh, I had this conversation earlier with Nahal Tuzi from, uh, from, from Politico that it does seem to me, if you look at the Iran nuclear deal and if you look at this moving of the capital, it's basically whatever BB wants, BB gets. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Or, or you could substitute Sheldon Adelson, right? Well, I mean, I think— Who are one and the same person, BB and Sheldon. Adelson, I think so. Netanyahu has definitely gotten what he wanted, but, you know, he's— He's been pushing this forever, and obviously, like Obama and Netanyahu had a terrible relationship, right? right? Um, and you know, Bibi was thrilled. He was tweeting out crazy stuff like, you know, make America great again, and you know, all these like American flags and Israel and American flags together, and, like basically they're best friends now. It's this whole kind of thing. But you know, we're supposed to be having this peace plan. <laughs> sorry, I laughed. I'm not sorry at all. But Jared Kushner is supposed to be putting together this grand peace deal, right? I, I think it's worth laughing for <laughs> any sentence that has Jerry Kushner and peace and, deal. Yeah. And, and substantive lasting peace deal in, right. in it. Yes, that's that's, that's so that's That was a, one of the early sort of surreal moments. I mean, it's, it is yeah. so absurd. Right. That, that, that he was put in charge of that. Uh, first of all, you always lose me when you start a sentence, Jared Kushner has been put in charge of dot, 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 <laughs> right. whatever it is, you've lost right. me. No, he's there today at the opening, of course. Right. Yes, of course. With, with first daughter representing. Yeah, the and they asked this morning. I was listening to the radio. They were uh, they were uh, interviewing uh, the U.S. ambassador um, to Israel, and you know, saying, "Hey, do, you know, you guys have been working on this peace plan. You and, and Jared Kushner. Do do you have anything on paper? Yeah, <laughs> like at all? And, and they yeah, they yeah. were like, he was like, well, we have some things on paper because uh, you know my memory isn't great. He was like, I wouldn't want to characterize <laughs> it. Right, no, right. He's like. <laughs> He was like, it's not like, you know, we're, we're working on it. It's, we've, we've got some things written down. It was it's, like, you work on it this long enough. I mean, of course, you'd have to have something. You yeah, know, we have something written down. Yeah. And that was about as far as he was yeah, able yeah, to go. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. it was like, just crickets. Like, yeah, we, we wrote some notes down. It was weird. It was weird. <laughs> yeah, it was very odd. <laughs> it was weird. Um, but, you know, it, you know, we can laugh. And, and it is, you know, hilarious and funny until you realize, 
you know, and I laugh at this until I realize, like, there are actual human lives at yeah. stake, right? Like, this is a serious There were 25 conflict. people killed today at the border between Gaza and Israel. Right, and those protests have been going on for weeks now. They're part of this kind of broader protest. Um, some of them have been journalists who are, you know, clearly identified wearing blue, you know, press vests with a giant white press written across the chest and were still being shot. Um, you know, now, I get it. I, I get that, you know... Israel doesn't want Gazans taking down the border fence and charging across. I don't think that's likely. They just deployed, Israel just deployed another thousand, another thousand. There have already been thousands, another thousand troops to the border with Gaza just for today, just to make sure. And the thing is, when you put that kind of firepower and you're giving them the order that they can shoot to kill for basically no reason, you're going to have deaths no matter what happens. Right. We have just begun to explore the world's hotspots, but um, clocks against us, out of time. Uh, hey, it's great to see you, Jennifer. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks so and much for having me. Follow her at Vox.com and Graham, of course, you can follow all the time at NewRepublic.com. Uh, it's a new week. It's a new day, a new Monday. Make the most of it, and then come back and see us again this tomorrow morning. We'll be looking Bill for Press you. Show.